Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. We're so lucky. Our dear friend, Crescent Dragon Wagon, is back to talk about her book, Soup and Bread, A Country and Cookbook. Now, let me tell you something in case you don't know it. This is a relaunch of a book that is, th it's the 30th anniversary. I think that's how long I've known you, Crescent. Do you know what I mean? I, <laughs> I That's probably when, really, I bet that's when I met you when this book yeah, was running out know. pretty close to that. And it's a wonderful book. It's the 30th anniversary. And Crescent, thank you for, you because I know how, busy you are right now, relaunching two cookbooks. If people have never published something, they don't realize what a feat that is. Okay. They just don't. I think you, nobody can understand it unless you've done it. So the thought that you get to bring this book back to the public and now it's in print after how many years was it out of print? was out of print for about 15 years and not because I didn't and I want to say in speaking of persistence yes I sent out proposal after proposal after proposal I couldn't get anybody even though the original had sold just under a million copies I know when I see I read that and I thought huh <laughs> what how can that be do you know what I mean but of course, we know that publishing has been through a lot of changes in the last couple of decades. Yep. Our world is different. There's no getting around. I say that all the time, Crescent. I know it sounds, some people must just think I'm not very bright, but I, <laughs> well, and that's another story and I don't want to hear about it, okay? <laughs> I think publishing is not very bright at this moment, but that's another story. That's another story. The, with what's happened to our, if you think what's changed in the last 30 years in our culture, in social media, in publishing, with women, with, you know, our society, it's overwhelming. Yes. It's overwhelming. Yep. Sometimes I just say, no matter what happens, I say to people, life changes. <laughs> it's a yep. different world. I say it's a different world like 400 times a day because you know what? It's a different it Yeah. Now tell us the origin of this famous book. And I'm so glad, and you just said it, I'm stealing, I'm stealing the line before Crescent has a chance to say it. This <laughs> is like comfort and yeah. remembrance. That's what it is. It's just a wonderful, wonderful book. So you have to tell us the origin of it mm -hmm. and how you came to write it to begin with. In a land far ago, in a yeah. time long ago, when I was in my 30s, my late husband and I, Ned Shank was his name, we opened a little country inn bed and breakfast in the Ozark Mountain town of Derry Hollow. Derry Hollow got its name because in the days when milk was all produced locally and delivered locally, there were three dairies that served the town in this particular valley. We call them hollows in Arkansas, this part of Arkansas. In fact, the first computer store in the area was called Silicon Holler. <laughs> but um, but uh, um, Dairy Hollow, the last existing dairy, and speaking of times long ago, was still operating when I moved to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and got rented a house and then bought that house in Dairy Hollow, Ethel Real. 
who was 82 and still milked eight Jersey cows by hand twice a day. You had to get on her milk list and go there and pick it up. And it was that milk that had, you know, two oh inches God. of heavy cream on top. And it was in glass gallon jars with a twist of wax paper under the lid. And she was lovely. And that milk was the taste of heaven. Of course. And those cows, they were Jersey cows with those long eyelashes. The golden Jersey cows. Oh my gosh, they were beautiful. So, so that valley was known as Dairy Hollow. And Ned and I decided he was an historic preservationist and he was all about adaptive reuse. And Eureka Springs is a Victorian era spa town, has fabulous architecture built into the sides of hills and mountains. It was the second largest city in Arkansas briefly in the 1880s when it was discovered as a spa town and a cure. But by that time, you know, it had had ups and downs. People didn't believe in taking the waters anymore. And at that time, it was attracting tourists because it was so pretty and so unusual and lots of artists and writers and gays and unusual compared to the general world, yeah, I suppose. Let's you could call them creative. Yes. But, you know, so it had been that way for a long time. Since the 1880s, the town's motto was where the misfit fits. Oh, how cute. Oh, and, and sure enough, I fit right in. I got there like two months after my 18th birthday and I lived there for many decades. And um, so Ned, being a preservationist, there was a, a tourist industry, but they were all, quote, up on the highway. They were all more or less, if not chain motels, you know, cinder block. And Ned used to say, why is there no adapter for use? You know, we have all these Victorians. So we decided to redo a little house that was near us. And it became the first bed and breakfast inn in the town. And it caught on, I mean, our, our banker, I remember said, what's a bed and breakfast inn? And when five years later, he took a house that was in his family and made it one, I thought, you know, that's one of those, you know, you've succeeded when moments. Yes. But anyway, so we did breakfast for our guests and guests loved it. And we would do dinner on request in our very early days as complete crazy people. We'd make it in our house and bring it over to the inn. And we eventually expanded the inn, got a second house, and eventually we put in a dining room and a restaurant. And we called our style of cuisine Nouveau's Arcs. Oh, and, and it was a full deal restaurant. It was one seating a night. So everything was very slightly less crazy than at you know open seating restaurants and people really came there for the experience and you know on halloween i just found a picture of this the other day i'll send you i'll send cindy this picture to post it on halloween when ned was maitre d someone made him a long black cape with white spots and he would he would say i'm cow dracula welcome to dairy hollow house we hope you'll stay for an eternity oh how cute. it was such, and he was front of the house He's very outgoing and improvisational and dear. And I was back in the house and I cooked and I cooked well. Well, I was then being published by Workman Publishing and my wonderful editor, Suzanne Rafer, who had the nerve to retire, by the way, on the same year that my longtime therapist and my longtime <laughs> agent, they all retired on the same year. And when Suzanne told me, I said, how could you? My therapist, you and my agent. And she said, we got together and did it on purpose. 
If people don't know, Suzanne Rafer was absolutely famous in publishing at Workman. I mean, famous. wonderful cookbook editor yeah. will never be replaced. Yeah. But anyway, they actually, and this is one of those things I can't imagine publishers doing then. She actually came down to the inn with her husband, Danny, and they stayed for two or three days. And because she was thinking about a book about the, I had done a couple of other books for Workman early. I was their first cookbook author, by the way. Oh, really? Fascinating. That's, but that's another rabbit hole we won't get into. We could talk about Workman and Peter. Work Anyway, they came down. She loved the food. She loved the inn. She loved the town. And she said, I think you should do one that's Dairy Hollow House Soup and Bread. And she said, yeah, I know you do all courses and all meals, but the inn is so comforting and soup and bread are so comforting. And I don't think there's anything out there that would be like, you could do it. And I want you, I want you to do it. And I said, okay. And I got very excited about it. And they made, they made me what I considered a very generous offer for the advance. They don't do advances that large anymore, but I always remember when I talked to my late father, he was a fellow writer and very encouraging. And I managed to, I mean, in those days, I wrote in the morning, had lunch, napped, workout, shower, and then I cooked, you know, from like nine in the morning to 11 at night, boogie boogie. That's and a full that's, day. That's youth for you. Um, <laughs> and so at one moment, I was able to call my father and I said, guess what? Workman wants me to do a book on soup and bread. And they made me a $25,000 advance offer. And there was this pause. And my father said, in complete undisguised astonishment, $25,000 for soup and bread? <laughs> you know, I mean, he was a Hollywood biographer. He couldn't conceptualize. And yet Suzanne was exactly right. And I loved writing the book. I loved experimenting. You know, of course, I in the real life, in the kitchen, I cook improvisationally. But when you write a cookbook, you measure everything and give it to a third party to test. So you can make sure that you're not making the error in many chefs' cookbooks, which is assuming wisdom. You don't have to quite say as... Um, Anne Mendelssohn said in her wonderful book uh, about the Rombauers. Yes. The book is called Stand Facing the Stove. You don't quite have to say that, but you have to say everything. You can't just say saute onion. You have to say saute onion for about five minutes or until starting to soften. You know, or what you, you want to give lots of cues because I would always ask myself, well, what if this was the first recipe someone made out of this book? Is it good enough that they would come back and make it again? What if it was the first recipe they made out of any book? Would they know how to do it? So, so I tried to write very um, carefully and precisely in the recipes, which are kind of, you know, you almost have to be as precise as coding. And yes. that's different than the kind of writing that I do as a creative writer. So there are these recipes that all really work. And I know because I tested them and Amber tested them. And I sometimes gave them to other people. And I, you know, I know that they work. Um, and yet surrounded by that, 
is what you would call the creative side, the writing, what it's like to be at the end, um, Ned and I, funny things that happened, um, Mrs. Real with her eight cows in the dairy chapter. I'm sure I mentioned Ethel Real. Yes. Um, so it's divided up. And then and then bread. We were famous for our cornbread. In fact, I later wrote a book just on cornbread called yes, Cornbread Gospels. That's out of print. But now, because of this, I have hopes that someday it will come back again. Where you go, you girl, you are it's it's a story of perseverance in all of this, which I think, and this is just me, Crescent. This is what is a reoccurring theme of women beyond a certain age is the women, young or old, medium, I don't care what age you are, tall, thin, fat, old, I don't care what we are, perseverance is everything in life. Yes. Not giving up. Don't give up. You just Just get whacked down, you get back. And, you know, we are in Arkansas, as I told you, and some regular guests at our inn happened to go on to be president. This is president and first lady. This is one reason why the book did so well is we did brunch for 1200 people at Bill Clinton's first inaugural. And in terms of getting back up, I had dinner at the White House once, a family dinner, not a state occasion. You know, that's things where you're going, oh my God, is this really happening? And then you're back in the moment and you're going, oh my God, is is this really real? But, um, that was the time that Whitewater was breaking, if you can remember that. And and I said, Bill, can I ask you a question? I mean, <clears throat> everything that goes wrong anywhere in the world, it's laid at your doorstep, at your feet, whether you did it or not. Have you managed to fall asleep at night? Yeah. Because I know when I have something that's on my mind, I don't sleep. And he kind of laughed and he said, and I mean, I watched him. He was like one of those birds that bird toys that you used to have a glass of water. It dips its head in and it just sort of goes indefinitely and like knock Bill Clinton down. He comes back up, knock him down. He comes back up, knock him. So, so I sincerely asked and he said, I know this is going to sound weird Crescent (laughs) and maybe oversimplistic, I'm imperfect, but I honestly do the best that I know how to do every day. And then I go to sleep because, and he sort of shrugged and he said, because somebody has to wake up and be president tomorrow. That's so adorable. <laughs> See now, I, and, it's so adorable. And I, you know, the humility, the truth saying of that, and all of us are president of our own lives and we got to get up and do them tomorrow. And so, you know, the resiliency that they modeled, you may love them, you may hate them. I hope you don't hate them. I love them. Yes. But the resiliency that they have shown, we're currently seeing Hillary go through a resurgence. But um, she loved, her favorite thing on the menu was my sorbets. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> she loved my sorbets, my ginger sorbet. She would, you know, people would come in and they say, Hillary sent me, she said to get the sorbet sampler for dessert. Oh, that's so darling. <laughs> I'm about to say, darling. Well, you know what? I'll say this, Crescenton, which is I'm an unmitigated Hillary Clinton fan. And this is my story. They were, it was during the re-election or second term. There was a 
a filthy rich political party in Santa Barbara for like the biggest donors, probably a hundred people at most. It was at a private home. I was the chef and all I want, it was lovely and everybody, they were happy, but this is all I want to say out of the probably 10,000 parties <laughs> I've given or events or TV shows or anything with Kings, Queens, diplomat stuff who walked into the kitchen to thank me personally yeah. hillary clinton yeah. she snuck she was like going i know she was going to the restroom she saw me in the kitchen came in and said are you the chef i said yes she said that was the most delicious dinner thank you so very much oh that's and that so was scary. it that's you know, so Hillary. And I you know, remember you, she walked away and I remember thinking, now this career is really taking us. <laughs> I'm like a rocket ship tonight. I mean, you guys aren't seeing this because you're not seeing the visual, but it, but uh, Denise just shot her arm up to show to show her career going up. Well, that reminds me at the brunch we did at the, so at the brunch we did, we served like, you know, 10 kinds of soups out of the book. And um, we also served, there was a book that came out by a local press that was called 30 Years in the Mansion that <gasps> Liza Ashley, who was the chef for many, many administrations in, in Arkansas wrote. And so Bill Clinton's then favorite dish, he's vegan now, but her then his then favorite dish was chicken enchiladas. So we had- <laughs> Chicken enchiladas, and we we brought at, we brought Liza Ashley too to be part of our event because the you know, way I feel is you never lose by being generous ever ever, and she had a book too, and her local publisher couldn't do as much for her as we so she was there, and the chicken for that meal was donated by Tyson Foods, another Arkansas company, and my favorite one of my favorite stories from that amazing day was a friend of ours was at the buffet line and we had little tags for everyone who sponsored events. And of course we went all out. The herbalist, Jim Long, another great writer that you should look up. Well, Cindy, there's another thing for you to put a link to. Jim Long of Long Creek Herbs. He drove across country with bunches of dried herbs and twig lattices so we could decorate the place. And oh. the historic Arkansas Museum loaned us quilts. It's a generous state in many ways, though you might not see it if you just look at the politics yeah. of it at the moment. However, we hope to change that in November, but I digress. Anyway, so they, they they had these little name tags that were all calligraphed and had little herbs tucked on them. And uh, Jim Long saw uh, 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 Don Tyson helping himself to some chicken enchiladas. And the, the, the condescension in Washington, D.C. towards Arkansas and Arkansas oh, I'm sure. was absolutely astounding. And so Jim Long overheard somebody say, so, Don, I see you're from Arkansas. Are you enjoying D.C.? Now, Don was a multi-zillionaire. Come on. Sure, sure. And, and uh, Don says, yeah, yeah, enjoying it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> and the, the person talking to him said, and what do you do in Arkansas, oh. Don? And Don Tyson said, raise chicken. <laughs> and that to me is Arkansas Cooth. Yes. So that was so cool. 
that was the rural equivalent of street smarts. And even though I don't eat chicken, I've been a vegetarian forever, although I cooked it during our in years. And although there are many chicken soup recipes in here, um, and they're good. They were tested and they were served at the end. I just happened not to eat chicken. I love that story. So there you go. And, you know, chicken soup to those people, you know, for a lot of people, it's major comfort food. I, I do miso soup as my vegetarian equivalent, but, you know. Soup for comfort. Is there now, Crescent, you know, this is a chef and as a food person. When I first started cooking professionally, but my mother made fabulous soups as a kid. Then I got into the kitchen and they were all French restaurants in those days. I mean, if you were going to work in a, a restaurant in San Francisco or when I was going to school, and of course, this is in 1984, all the chefs were French. Okay, the instructors were French. So I learned about stock. My mother always made stock. As an Italian, she always, we had stock. Um, we didn't call it stock. We called it broth because, and it was so flavorful because if we didn't want, if my mother wasn't going to make a soup or if anybody was sick, you would just have broth. She would cook some pastina in it and we would have that. And we would, and remarkably the next day, everyone was well. That's what <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had the flu, you got a shot, you fell off your bicycle, you had a little broth with pastina and you were well. So I knew, I know my mother made fabulous soups. And then when I got to the CCA, I realized how important soup was to restaurants because what I found out and I, known even more later on like a lot of people can't make soup yeah yep they don't know how to make soup if their mother didn't make soup if they don't know how to make stock they don't know how to make broth um they don't know how to make soups so when i first started cooking professionally at every job i went out on the chef especially if they were french would say go in the kitchen and make a pot of soup so mm -hmm. their test in you know their test was no recipe no you know, you're not going to make what I, I think you, that you think I want you to make. You just uh, make a big pot of soup. And yeah. if it was good, you got the job. So that is a much kinder French chef story than many I have heard. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, now don't trigger me. <laughs> all right. All right. I suck that. I suck that comment back. No, but I learned soup. A good soup is everything. It Crescent. really is. It can start a meal. It can be the meal. It can be your snack in the middle of the day. It can be lunch. I mean, to me, soup is just, it's a wonderful, wonderful food. And well, it's very forgiving, you know? Yeah. It's very, it's flexible by what's there. You know, if you have, I made a, there one of the recipes in here. Now, by the way, one of the things I did, the book is a reproduction of the original one, but in this 30th anniversary yeah. edition, we have a new introduction and we have a new part where I go chapter by chapter and say what I still do, what I changed. And one of the things, it what used to be in the dairy chapter, it's a curried eggplant soup stew. And originally I did it with half and half, but one of the things I do with it now is I make it with coconut milk. And Fabulous. the flavors really work with the, you know, the yeah. cilantro and the curry powder and the heat. 
and the ginger. It's just a great soup. And I made it the other night and there was just a little bit left over. It's a thick soup. And so that like the sauce for a, I had just been to the farmer's market. So I did like a stir fry with, oh, bok choy and stuff. And I threw in some tempeh, that, that soybean, that, you know, threw, threw in some baked tempeh. And I used the leftover soup as like a sauce or a gravy for it and did it over rice. And it was great. It was that we had that last night. I... And, Honey, you just said it, and I'll tell you, oh, God, that sounds like, and of course, by changing it to coconut milk, for new people that are buying the book, you've updated it because you so seldom see it a recipe anymore. People just say, use half and half. <laughs> yeah, right. It's true. You don't anymore. No one, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know for me, Crescent, in my life, Things that we used to use heavy cream in, I always say, I, I just make it with half and half now, or sometimes diluted half and half. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Because, yes. and it's delicious and has less calories and you've updated it. And, you know, so once in a while, very seldom, I have real cream because I made a tiramisu over the weekend. So it was real heavy. Yeah. Now, again, in what we're seeing in food, you could whip the egg white thing that people do with that and use it now. I know... I, I can't think of the name. It starts with an A something. I mean, there's so many. Aqua, you're thinking of aquafaba? Yes. Okay, you, that's you, the water the chickpea was cooked in that yes. people make unbelievable meringues from. Exactly. Unreal. How can it be? I mean, when I've seen what we've done in the past 20 years, it's exciting. Yes. Okay. You know, it's very exciting to try different things. So you... You don't have to use whipping cream anymore in a tiramisu if you didn't want, if you wanted to make a riff on your own. But I had a little bit of cream left and it was in next to the half and half and my husband went to make his coffee and he said to me, what's happening with this little tiny bit of cream? Ah, there you I, go. He said, it. I said, it's up for grabs. He said, I'm taking it. And he put that <laughs> and the smile on his face because I'm sure it's, he hasn't had real cream in his coffee. Yeah. I don't know. And I mean, I save it for the for the special things. I just don't use it routinely. Now, yeah. when you were talking about broth, yeah. um, one of my favorite compliments that I ever got on this book was from Shirley Coraher. And to those of us in food service, particularly of or beyond a certain age, Shirley Coraher is our goddess. Yes. Because she's a food scientist who knows why. Ever. To get a compliment from Shirley is a big deal and she told me that she loved the book and she said what i especially loved was that you started with water i mean oh, liquid yeah. water is how where stock begins where anything that has liquid really begins and of course you know we're reading the terrible news of the imperiled water system now in jackson mississippi we read about it in um flint yes and yet the quality of the water besides basic to health to hydrate enough your stock your coffee your anything that you cook water with it really tastes different if you use purified filter or clean spring water from if you use tap water because most of it even if it's not going to poison you it has stuff in it has chlorine and stuff in and so I started with the discussion of water and took apart, you know, if you put 
an ingredient in cold water and bring it to a boil, the flavors leach out of the ingredient into the liquid, whether it's bones that you maybe roasted yes. in the oven first, roasted bed, whatever it is, you do that when you want the flavor in the water. Whereas if the water is boiling, when you drop it in or simmering, it seals the flavors into the ingredient, hence poached chicken. Yes. You know, the, the, the liquid is less, is much less muscular than if you had started it in cold water. So just talking in detail, it's food science, but it's also how you make things good. And as a bonus, a little bit healthier. That's I mean, right. I, you know, right. I always think of food as being a triangle. I'm holding up my hands and making a triangle since only Cindy and Denise can see what we're doing on <laughs> visually. And the triangle that I see is one edge of the triangle is pleasure. And one point of the triangle is nourishment. And one triangle point is that it is the medium of benign contact between us and the world, between us and people we love, between us in the seasons. And even if you're alone, nobody eats alone. Somebody grew that food. Somebody cooked it. Somebody stacked it on the supermarket shelves or brought it to the farmer's market. And so, you know, it's it's not a common way to think about diet. You know, one minute it's keto and vegan and, you know, whatever, whatever. But I think a sane diet balances those three points of the triangle. Yes. You know, pleasure nourishment connection yes and if you stick to food that does all three there's nothing you can't have but there's things that you might not choose fast food even if it tastes pleasurable to you it doesn't to me but it does to many people as we're all kind of hardwired for crunchy salty fatty sweet yes um but you know you might eat that less because even if it gives you pleasure it's not nourishing and it's not really benign connection. That's right. You might, but you would eat it occasionally. Occasionally have that tiramisu, baby. Have it, you know, for, for the pleasure of it. But, you know, most of the time, if you make sure your meals hit each of those three points, you know, you might not be thin, thin, but you're going to be, a, you know, a good weight for yourself and you're going to have joy in your food and for who you cook for. And so soup is a big part of that for me. Soup is a big part of that. You and know, it's easy. And is, once people get into it, and this is just my feeling, because I make a soup almost every week. And lots of times, and when you were saying before, lots of times my husband will say, this is the best <laughs> cauliflower soup. And I call it cream of cauliflower. It has no cream in it. I throw a red potato in there, of course. But he'll say, this is the best you've ever made. And I'll say, that's unfortunate because it'll probably never happen again. <laughs> I say the <Yeah>. same thing. <laughs> I said, that was the best leak. I bought that big fat leak at the farmer's market and we may never see a leak like that again in our lifetime. So no, honey, but soup actually for people that don't know how to cook, which is why if they haven't got, hadn't had this cookbook 30 years ago, they should buy it now. Crescent, once you learn how to make soup, once you understand what you're doing with the sweating of some vegetables and adding a delicious clean broth that you've made, and if you don't have broth, then you use water, but, and use, as you said, filtered water. But once you do that, and then you find out it, there's a repetition in soups, you know how to do it. And yep. it's, 
Whereas, and this is the other reason when you were talking about processed food, I have never bought a can of canned soup that tastes good. Okay. Yeah. The only one I like, I buy tomato soup, Camel's tomato soup, and I add some milk to it because it tastes like my mother when I was a right. kid. And it makes me happy. Okay. With grilled cheese, right? Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a French bread with the cheese on top because mm -hmm. that's what we would have. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you something. I don't eat any other canned soups. Yeah. I find them to be horrible and salty and nasty. And now they're not even cheap anymore. You go to buy a can. I keep a few cans of Progresso. So if I'm out of town, my husband will heat that up. Uh, for me. There you go. They're not good. They're not good. Yeah. Matter of fact, they're bad. <laughs> so sorry, Progresso. <laughs> getting that sponsorship. This but you know, that's why, but when I looked at your book this morning and I looked at the recipes, I thought to myself, this lays out how you can make really good soup. Thank you. What recipes jumped out to you? What oh, did you I say? Love oh, the I want to make Greek, Greek navy bean soup. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And the other reason I love this, but the other reason is when I've gone to Greece, her friends go, we buy those big green, they call gigante, the big green white beans. Yes. And I bring home a couple of cans and that's what I... I've got a couple cans still in my pantry. I'm going to make this soup, but with those already cooked Great. beans. Yes, yes, yes. Now, now, speaking of the bean, the bean and lentil chapter in it. Yes. Um, I think. Let's see what that chapter is called. It's divided by um, by sort of by main ingredient. So you know, there's a chapter on chicken soup. There's a chapter on fish soup. There's a chapter yes. on broth. There's a I think the bean chapter is called hot hearty bean soups. Um, so about, I guess it's probably three years ago now, I got a fan letter. I got an email from somebody. I didn't recognize his name. And he lived in Seattle. And he said, I recently told this story to a friend of mine. And he said, you have got to track down the author and write her about this. So I'm doing it. He explained that he took a job as the head physician's assistant, or actually he didn't tell me, he said a new job. He didn't tell me what it was at that point. And he said, I was looking around for something I could bring to lunch every day because I go with so many changes with my work and I have to respond to so many things. I wanted something I could count on that would be healthy, that I would like the taste of, that, you know, and he said, and I didn't want to have to think about what am I going to eat. So I wanted something I could eat every day. He said, I landed on your Greek lentil soup with spinach. And I think it's with garlic, sweet potatoes, potatoes. Um, anyway, has it has little whole coriander seeds in it, which are oh, magic. Nice. Crunch yeah. On them. yeah. And, and he said, well, I'm going to retire next year, but for 15 years, I have made that soup every two weeks, put it in individual jars and brought it to work. Well, I thought his name was Reed, this fellow. I thought this was the most phenomenal and hilarious story that I had ever heard. And I wrote back and I said, this is great. Can I write a blog post? Would you, would you tell, what work do you do? Yes. And, and would you take some pictures of you making? And by God, he did. He did all those things. And it turned out, he was a physician's assistant, the head of a ward 
of aid patients in Seattle. Oh. Well, I, I just thought this story made me happy. And it, my book was out of print by then. I didn't, I couldn't do yeah. anything to get anybody to take it, although I was trying. Um, and, but at, at a meeting of IACP, International Association of Culinary Professionals or something, I ran into darling Joe Yonan at um, oh, yes! something, sweet man, who is also the editor of the Washington Post. And I said, Joe, and I'm not hustling my book or anything, <laughs> but this is a fabulous, I mean, because it wasn't in print, you know? Yeah. Yeah. This, is a, this is a story that just made me laugh. It made me feel good. Would you like to do a story about it? And he said, well, send me the stuff and let me... And sure enough, he fell in love with the story too. He called Reed. They had their own interview. Yes. And he ran he ran a story titled, This Soup is So Good That One Nurse Has Eaten It Every Day for 15 Years. Now, just by a fluke, this recipe appeared in the Washington Post food section on, I believe, March 8th, 2020 the weekend before lockdown with COVID. Oh. So that was a moment that everybody was over the top anxious. They wanted comfort food. Yes. They were saying, oh God, I've got to stock food in my cupboard. What are these little pebbles? How do I make them soft and into wonderful things? That strictly because of the timing. Well, it's also a really good recipe, but yeah. I think it was timing. It was fluky timing. That recipe was the most reprinted, reposted recipe that the Washington Post ever ran. It didn't do anything for my book, but I think it made a lot of people happy. And people wrote, you know, long copious notes about what they did and, you know. That is, Crescent, that is, that gives me chills. It gives me goosebumps. That is so special. No, it is. It's very, very special. Well, Anyway, so when I saw it had been, you know, they sent me, it would, I guess I had a Google alert on it. Sure. And when I saw it had been reprinted in a newspaper in Bora Bora. <laughs> That's phenomenal. Thought, How is this possible? You know, fluky old life. We're going to say it again. The 30th anniversary edition of Dairy Hollow House, Soup and Bread, A Country Inn Cookbook. And also, I'll tell you something else that was fun because I read the new forward, Crescent, talking about, and this is remembrance, and this is just so many things and so important with food because it's like me with the cream of tomato soup that my mother took out of the can and I remember it to this day. You write in the beginning of this about how it no longer exists, that how do you yeah, write about a place that no longer exists? Yeah. But it does exist because it's still in your recipes. It's still in your heart. It's still in your memories. It's still everywhere. Yes. So yeah. this is so incredible. And it's just lovely. And I, and I told you, did I already say this? I may be repeating myself. When I put the cover of the new book up, on my Facebook page. And I just said, you know, um, coming soon to a podcast near you. <laughs> and they could read your name. I I mean, 50, 60 people in an hour said, I had that cookbook 30 years ago. Oh, I think I still have it. Oh, I have to find it. People had such warm and loving Thank memories you. of it. That's very special. Thank you. You know, I, I am fortunate, you know, in in my life, including, I suppose, 
the way I've been able to process losses because I yes. was widowed from, but you know, it's a funny thing in writing that introduction, even though I've been cooking forever and writing cookbooks for a long time, and re I realized something about recipes and food. On the one hand, it's very temporal. Some people have said to me, how can you spend six hours fixing a meal? I mean, not that I do very often, but when I have a dinner party or something, sure. you know, how can you spend, for something that's gone in an hour, it's so temporary, it's so transient, but food is both transient and eternal. And, you know, Ned may not be on, well, he's not on earth anymore, but, you know, there's a pecan pie recipe when I make, you know, I think about how much Ned loved it. And when you follow your grandmother's recipe for something, be it chicken soup or gingerbread, it's, it's, um, you know, she's gone. And maybe she cooked on a wood stove and you don't, but your, your kitchen is going to smell the same as hers did while it's baking. That's right. And those tastes are going to land on your tongue the way they landed on her tongue. So it is both the most transient thing, but it also has a quality of eternity to it. Absolutely. And I didn't discover that exactly that way. I mean, I love writing and cooking because they both, you continue learning from them and making discoveries about them and you never stay still. There's always, you know, one more thing. You replace the half and half with the coconut milk or yeah. the um, heavy cream with the potato or, you know, whatever thing it is. So that was very meaningful to me to get to make that discovery and because you know, that is that question that I open the book with, which is, how do I welcome you to a place that no longer exists? Well, some element of it exists. Of course it does. None of us would be here without what came before. That's right. The people of the future wouldn't be here, wouldn't be eating what they're eating and thinking what they're thinking without us. Doing, it's on a continuum. And food is so much a part of that. And soup you know, with its kind of reassuring, comforting, and it's also the most easy dish on the whole menu to improvise. Yes. You know, to, you know, if you don't have this, you can use that. If you like it, like my my present husband, Mark Kraft, um, I happen to like if a sauce, if a soup is has a really good broth, that's the thing that speaks to me yes. underneath all the flavors and seasonings. Mark is not that big, you know, I like a brothy soup. He he would rather it have a little body to it. So, you know, I'll make my favorite soup and then I'll do a portion from him. I'll make a little paste of cornstarch and stock or wine or whatever yeah. and stir it. And so it gives it the mouth feel that he prefers. He yeah. prefers it to be a little thick or, you know, puree a potato or rice sure. or whatever. Sure. You know, he prefers it that way. Fine. Soup, soup says, yes, ma'am. I'm here. What do you want me to do? I'll do it. <laughs> well, honey, you have just, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and of course, to me, I worked with, Cindy would know them, so I can't say their names. I worked <laughs> with two or three of the most difficult producers, just really difficult producers. But I would always forgive them 
during the production because one day when I was cooking, there was some beautiful fresh salmon and I was able to take a piece that wasn't going to be prop food and I cooked it in just some white wine, probably a little bit of not even garlic, salt and pepper. I poached it. It was perfectly cooked. <laughs> hey, that's what it was. And to this day, I cannot see those producers without the first thing out of their mouths saying, Denise made the most perfect piece of fish I've ever had in my entire life. Yeah. And then I forget that they were drunk a lot or really <laughs> horrible or smoking cigars or pinching our fannies or being obnoxious or changing the scripts or being horrible because they told me it was the best piece of fish they ever had. There you go. Food things that you create, the memories you create for other people are. Thank you. Thank you. And we do have to add that it has soup and bread. Oh, and yes. it doesn't say on the cover, it also has a section on salads. Oh, yes. And I soup, remember. bread, and salad. It's a perfect meal. It's a perfect it's, meal. Assuming they're all good, it's <laughs> the perfect meal. You know, I think perfect too for people that are looking more, more timely than ever, people that are trying to find a new way to cook and they can go back in an old way of cooking and bring it forward. Crescent, thank you as always. You are so welcome. You are so welcome. Cindy and I, uh, we like you and we thank you for <laughs> I know. As we said in the previous in the previous one, you're likable, you're lovable, <laughs> and it will be okay. And, and, you know, and so when you when you look for the book, be sure to look for the 30th anniversary edition yes. because yes. otherwise you will get a used copy of the old edition. And if you're a person that had it and loved it, as I guess nearly a million people were, you know, it's a gift book, somebody getting married, give it to them with a wonderful soup pot, you know. Honey, thank you. I look forward to talking to you again. And People that want to reach out to us, it's womenbeyond at iCloud.com. Cindy puts all Crescent's information up so you can find it. And isn't your um, website just CrescentDragonWagon.com? No, it's DragonWagon.com. DragonWagon.com. Okay. And there's a bunch of stuff there. I'm also, you know, I'm on you're Instagram. Around. I know you're around. People oh, oh one of, one of um, you know, my big supporters and fans just started a new Instagram page that I'm contributing to a little bit, but she's Good. basically doing it and it is called Soup and Bread Comfort. Oh, lovely, perfect. So it will not only be about my book, but other books, other soup explorations, um, and just that idea of food that is reassuring. And so we just started that. Lovely. She just started it. She took the initiative. I'm not gonna right for it particularly she's going to do it but so there so that's out there too that's lovely food that you can share yeah uh, thank you so much thank you miss cindy as always thank and you good luck on the relaunch of both these two and thank we'll talk to you again soon i hope i hope so too okay who knows maybe i'll come and make soup for you i would love that Sounds good. Bye. We'll invite Cindy too, but as long as she brings the cow picture for me to see in person. <laughs> There's a beautiful painting of cows that used to be, used to be Denise's that is now with her, and of course Gary Hollow has the cows have to. We have I to. I know. It's so it's also kismet. I can't say. <laughs> All right, darling. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Thank you.